arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman. Ladies and gentlemen, I swore when I started these podcasts I would not begin an episode with when I was a boy, that would be redundant and self-serving. When I was a boy, the adventures of Superman with George Reeves became stamped on my mind, as real as anything else in my life. Isn't it strange how faces we see on TV somehow become mixed with real memories of real people? When I decided to write a story about a superhero, I certainly incorporated the disguise aspect of the original Superman comics. Randy Wilson changed in a bodily way. Clark Kent had to find a phone booth or the key to Lois Lane's apartment. I wanted Cron Man to be an average guy. He doesn't write for the Daily Planet, which was a great way to weave in crime stories into the Superman plot. He is not the flighty Ralph in Greatest American Heroes, nor does he report to a government agent named Bill. Randy has the sleazy Eddie Conover to contend with, and Randy likes working on cars. Stephen J. Cannell was a creative genius and an awesome writer. The key for Ralph is the suit given to him by aliens. In Cron Man, there are aliens, but his whole body has changed. Cron Man has a nemesis, too, just like Superman did with Lex Luthor in the original radio drama and in the comic books. Cron has Junior Janus, a second-generation spoiled rich kid. Just as an addendum, I had some fun at Universal Studios when I was in California. Chosen from the crowd to play Superman on the green screen. What a kick, as I was a fan of the series and the movies. All day long, around Universal, people were pointing, Hey, there's Superman! Laugh out loud. Okay, boys and girls, let's do this. Let's start the movie projector and have some fun time natural, credit to the late Gene Burns, and listen to Randy Wilson as he becomes Cron Man. Cron Man by Robert P. Fitton. Prologue. Dubai, United Arab Emirates. June 10th, 2021.
From the top of the open stairs, the Burj Khalifa rose like a dagger 2,700 feet into the cloudless sky. He adjusted his signature recruitment, a red handkerchief in his suit coat pocket, and then he descended the stairs in the dry heat. At the base of the white stairs, with the impressive skyline beyond, three men in western business suits stood on the tarmac. Junior shook hands on the tarmac. Good morning, Mr. Janus. I'm Mr. Fournier's financial controller, Robert Lefebvre. This is Mr. Barbano and Mr. Vernick. On behalf of Mr. Fournier, welcome to the United Arab Emirates. You will not use the name Fournier. Why not? Lefebvre squinted. Use the name Dana Kova. Well, whatever. They marched toward a long black limo. The chauffeur opened the side door and Junior slid into the air-conditioned interior. He wished he was not alone on this deal. The doors closed and the chauffeur got behind the wheel. We will drive across town to Club 4712, upper level, and then to the hotel. Our initial chucks will give us a chance to know each other and possibly produce an outline of our goals. One thing you should understand about me, Lefebvre, is uh, if I can further the aims of Janice Enterprises, then we'll have a deal. Hopefully our goals and your goals will be in alignment. Junior looked out the window. This modern city was far away from the Janus Tower, overlooking Lake Van Buren, back in Camden Bay. I have a feeling, Lefebvre, we'll leave here with an understanding. The rich wood bars and smooth tile walls glowed within the soft light from overhanging mosaic lamps. Patrons crunched around circular tables, created a myriad of individual conversations. Waiters scampered with wide silver food trays, and an assortment of aromas inundated the banter. Junior was escorted up a spiral staircase to an upper level. Fournier stood. He was over six feet tall, and his short, dark hair combed forward. The long, tan suede coat that he wore descended below table level. His teeth protruded as he spoke. Monsieur Janus. His gentle grasp slid around Junior's smaller hand. Pleasure. Please sit down. His earthy brown eyes focused on Junior for several moments, making him uneasy. Junior regretted they were not back in his own tower back in Camden Bay. Can I get you a drink? Yeah, sure. I am an opportunist, Mr. Jonas. Yeah, welcome to the club. You produced a fixed smile and did not make eye contact for some time. My opportunity is to use you to my own advantage. Ditto. The waiter deposited a large green drink with a red stirrer and a cherry atop whipped cream onto the white linen tablecloth. Nico Galeopas recommended you as a politically savvy opportunist who might get my organization to have President Richardson's ear. That is why I help facilitate part of your shipment out of Shanghai. You will continue to use the Dana Kovar name with the committee to re-elect the president. Fournier is a cover. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Junior sipped the drink. We've done business with Nico's shipping line for years. Nico told me you have a number of enterprises, some legal, some illegal. Wow, you, Monsieur Janus, <laughs> I would mind my own business. What my companies do is of no concern to you. Newsflash, pal. I don't care. I'm fundraising for John Melville in the re-election campaign 
If I get cash from you, we'll make a deal for access. If not, I really don't give a shit. Again, Fournier stared at him. I see. Yeah, you see. You think I'm some hayseed who doesn't know his ass from his elbow? Fournier pressed his lips. I'll let you know what they need for cash. My lawyer, Dutch Corcoran, will contact your people. Then you can open up the spigot there, Frenchie. This is purely a business deal, Monsieur Janice, because I don't like you. Oh, I'm hurt. Chapter 1. Five weeks later, Eddie's Quick Fix Garage, 14 Belmont Street, Camden Bay, New York, July 9th, 2021. Maurice Jr. Janice, said Randy, mumbling as he grabbed the wrench. He morphed from a high school weasel to a crime mogul. Thought by the time I got out of the service, he'd be in jail. His high school chum strutted down the stairs on the garage's TV monitor. Pushing 30, little Junior, blue handkerchief in his suit coat pocket, was surrounded by lawyers and business partners as he left the Camden Bay courthouse. Junior cut the image of a struggling mortician with his greasy black hair and blue pinstripe suit. A seasoned, gray-haired reporter spoke into a microphone. Randy pulled his ringing cell phone from his jeans pocket. This is Randy. Happy birthday there, Rand, said his brilliant friend. First birthday since you became a civilian again. Randy smiled. He heard background chatter at the police station. Be good to have a party back home, Harry. A Camden Bay's finest watching Junior on TV? Yeah, we are. Word down here at the station is that Dutch Corcoran and those legal beagles from the City will get him off the jury tampering charge. Randy set down the air hose. What other charges? Julie thinks they're going to break the story on the land scam. Well, I'm not holding my breath. No offense against your sister. Well, I know how Junior can buy his way out of anything. Probably even murders. I never liked him when we were in school. He was sleazy, just a punk. Now look at him. And he keeps harassing Julie. Last week, two of his punks pulled up on a jag and bothered Julie after one of her TV reports. They kept saying Junior wanted to have dinner with her. We need to get a restraining order. Yeah, like he would listen. Let me know, Rand. Well, I've had it with him. Julie doesn't need that sleaze after her. Junior's dangerous. Yeah, well, people on the streets are scared because... Harry yelled something to somebody at the station. Well, thanks for the B-Day present there, Harry. Yeah, well, just make sure Eddie doesn't look for a cut when Hermie brings the truck over. Eddie would skim money off his grandmother's Social Security. What do you mean, would skim? <laughs> Laughed Harry. What time is Julie having your party at Mulligan's? Seven o'clock. I may be a little late. Diane likes me to tuck in the kids. Okay, I'll see you tomorrow night then. Yeah, fat chance, said Randy, and he hung up the phone. An Asian woman broadcast a new report from Channel 4's studio. In other news, President Richardson will be traveling to Camden Bay next month for an evening fundraiser and a speech downtown during the afternoon. Hey, the Duke, the Duke! What did you call him, Eddie? asked Randy across the garage. He reminds me of John Wayne. John Wayne? You and your old movies. The TV monitor went blank. 
The crew cut Eddie, remote in hand, stood in his striped garage shirt and navy pants. He walked as if he had springs in his sneakers. A large logo with his name in blue letters and quotation marks was emblazoned on his shirt. He lit his half-smoked cigarette as he approached. Kokomo, I see you're all prettied up with your new haircut for your birthday bash, but uh, let's get some cars out of here this afternoon. Sure, all those unknown cars, Eddie? Hey, those cars came from the auction. The cigarette now crunched between his teeth. Eddie had a dumb look. Eddie, those cars are hot. They started back to the garage door. Heebie, heebie, heebie. Hot, I'll tell you what's hot. Tall blonde in a white sundress exited one of the cars. Veronica, baby. You're a shyster, Eddie, and you know it. Yeah, so what? He lifted the blue and white box behind Randy's toolbox. I told you, don't use Cron Auto Parts. We use Auto Perfect in my garage. Yeah, all the cheapest parts. I only use Cron Parts in my truck, Eddie. I got bills to pay, Cron man. The blonde entered from the front office. Randy smiled. Look, I told you when I got back home from the service. I just work on the cars. You go after all the angles and deals, Eddie. Julie didn't invite me to your birthday party. I wonder why. Me too. And I still got you that gym membership. That was nice of you, Eddie. What's the catch? No catch. You can stand to beef up. Look at you. 5'7", 165. Oh, yeah. And you're a hunk? Thank you. It wasn't meant as a compliment. How are you going to get the babes with no beef? Hey, Eddie. Go play in traffic. Only if I can get a car out of it. Then he elbowed Randy's ribs. Don't worry, corn man. We're all gonna party at Mulligan's. Randy smiled. Well, you better check with Julie first. Sure, when I get there. <laughs> he laughed like a squeaky door. Eddie, you are unique. Thank God there's only one of you. Yeah, my mother says that all the time. Smart woman. In his truck, Randy turned to Julie. Her short auburn hair flipped in the open window. It was nice of Harry to have the truck detailed and tuned. What's the matter? Doesn't he trust Eddie's garage? Randy turned off the freeway. Not unless I'm working on it. Eddie keeps telling everyone how you used to work on planes in the Air Force. Eddie exaggerates everything. I was a mechanic. He turned toward her as he drove with one hand. Can I ask you a question there, Mookie? Sure. Did Junior wiggle out of that jury tampering charge? Her eyes tightened around her dark sunglasses. My sources tell me he may have gotten to Judge Hennessy. Who told you that? That boyfriend, the lawyer of yours? Her head snapped toward him. Hey, Rodney is very sharp. Yeah, so are steak knives. Randy navigated along the straight asphalt. I know you don't like Rodney. He works for the DA. Why doesn't he confront Junior? It's confidential. Oh, give me a break, Julie. I'll talk to Junior. Randy, he's got a bunch of goons on his payroll. She held his wrist. Brother, you're turning 27 tomorrow. I'd like to see you make it to 28. Randy nodded as he thought about Junior leaving the courthouse on TV. Can I ask you another question? What? Has Junior hit on you lately? I know his guys tried to arrange a dinner date. Well, I get his calls, and they've been by the station trying to set up a date. He's been after you since grade school, Julie. He was a squirt back then. 
He's still a squirt. This has to stop. The blue glass Janus Tower rose 600 feet above Lake Van Buren. After Randy left Julie at her condo, he thought back to their conversation about Junior Janus. Junior had affected her more than he had realized. He stepped from his truck and put his hands on his hips. Junior had never intimidated him, but his henchmen were hired thugs. He pushed the lock on his keychain and moved quickly down the sidewalk toward the extended tower canopy along the sidewalk ahead. Above the lake, bright cumulus billows formed in the blue-green sky. A few spitting raindrops hit his arms. Two hulks in dark suits stepped up from the silver-rimmed glass doors. The dark-haired punk on the left hadn't shaved. Hey, who are you? You tell Junior that Randy Wilson's here. An earthquake furrow formed down his forehead. He stared at Randy's garage uniform. Junior hasn't got time for some dumb grease monkey. Look, you flunky, he knows who I am. He stepped toward Randy and lifted him up. Then he smashed his fist into Randy's jaw. Randy hit the ground hard. He was out for several seconds, and the blurred image of the guy slowly formed in the sunlight. Now beat it, loser. Nobody calls me a flunky. Randy moved his jaw from side to side. He watched the two men return to sentry duty at the front of the building. He stumbled to his feet and followed them toward the door. The same guy turned. You like punishment, Wilson? You tell Junior to stay away from my sister. I don't tell Junior nothing. He turned to his fat compadre. You take care of him this time, Alex. She doesn't like him. She never did. The chunky guy lifted him from under the arms and squeezed until Randy had trouble breathing. He threw Randy hard against the parked car and Randy hit the sidewalk. They thought it was real funny as they disappeared into the tower. The back of his head throbbed and his lower lip split, bloodied from the impact. He grabbed the car door handle and hoisted himself up. The point of the Janus Tower seemed to penetrate the clouds. Maybe he should have listened to Harry about the restraining order. In his truck's side mirror, he could see that his torn lip might require stitches. With the tissue on his lips, he pushed the cell button. Randy Wilson. Wilson, what are you doing outside my building, you moron? You listen to me, said Randy in a whisper, his speech slurred by his swollen lip. Blood oozed down from the central gash. You stay the hell away from Julie. How many times does she have to tell you she hates your guts? She never liked you. She'll come around. Back off, Junior. Just talk to Sid and Alex. They made a fool out of you. Let that be a lesson to you. You get near my building again, Wilson, and I'll kill you. you. Come near her again and I'll kick your ass. Oh, yeah? You? You and what army? You Air Force monkey? Wilson, who can't fight his way out of a paper bag. <laughs> yeah, and you inherited everything from your old man. You should be in jail. Never happened, dude. We'll see. You and your smart-ass reporter sister, stay out of my way. So you can bribe somebody else? He heard no click, but Junior was gone. His lip tightened in pain, and he had trouble moving his stiff back. I hate that, punk. Chapter 2 Salisbury Condominiums, Camden Bay, New York, July 9th, 2021, 9.05 p.m. On the monitor, the president's gray hair, trimmed nicely on the sides, 
gave him a respected appearance. His blue eyes had an unusual seriousness. My fellow Americans, no one ever claimed the world was a safe and secure place. There are bastions of liberty. The United States is one of those bulwarks against tyranny of all those who have no respect for the human condition and unalienable rights. Well, I, for one, do care about unalienable rights, and the United States will not stand by while abuses and genocide take place. This world will never be perfect, but it will be secure. Thank you, and good night. Randy lifted his barbell set over his head. He pressed the weights three times. His back was still tight. He grunted and groaned. Pressing a hundred pounds was a good starting point before he got back into the gym. He wondered how Eddie, normally a cheapskate, had obtained a gym membership. It would have been prudent to let his body rest after the confrontation with Junior's thugs. He shut off the TV monitor and climbed the wooden stairs from his basement workout room at Salisbury Heights. Maybe Eddie's membership would link him up with a trainer. He stretched his back and grabbed a cold beer from the fridge. Brownie looked up at him. Then he gulped half the bottle before setting it on the counter. He checked his lip in the mirror. It still hurt. Then he turned to Brownie. You're just a German shepherd, not a connoisseur. He scooped up the beer bottle and let Brownie onto the outside deck. Stars, like spilled milk, swept across the deep evening sky above the field. With Brownie settling in by his side on the deck, he sat in the lounger and savored the beer. Twenty-seven years old, Brownie. Brownie tilted his head. Hey, you're only two, buddy. He sipped the cold beer. Somehow he thought back to when Julie had her Mazda in Eddie's garage when he first got out of the service. Eddie had called her a looker and even tried dating her until she told him to back off. Then he laughed out loud at Eddie's bleach-blonde girlfriend at the time, Mabel, with the glossy red lipstick, who could never keep her mouth shut and was fond of the phrase, Then you could just go to H.E. Double Hockey Sticks, Eddie. And Eddie's usual response, holding a cigar, I applied, but they wouldn't take me. Something resonated behind him. He moved to turn as Brownie barked and everything around him blurred into a fog and the hair on his arms stood up. A burgeoning light within the fog came closer till it was all encompassing. His entire body numbed like when the dentist stuck a Novocaine needle in his gums and then he went out. Salisbury Condominiums, Camden Bay, New York, July 11th, 2021, 7.32 a.m. Brownie's barking grew louder. Randy rolled off the mattress. High clouds cleared to a blue sky as the president spoke into the microphone. He shook his head. Something was wrong, really wrong. But he was in his bedroom and the blinds now glowed with the daylight. Richardson, Brownie barked louder. In his plaid boxes, Randy leaped from the bed and shuffled to the front room in the kitchenette. He ran his finger along his smooth lip. Why was he bare-chested? He looked closer in the mirror at his lip. There was no wound, not even a scar. Brownie sat outside the open sliders. His brown beer bottle, nearly full, remained on the lounger arm. Randy let Brownie inside. As Brownie jumped all over him, Randy stared into the trees in front of the field. Why had he left Brownie outside? He had no recollection of even coming back in the house. Why didn't his head and back ache anymore? I'm starved. 
He reached into the kitchen cabinet and removed four Snickers bars. Fournier. Fournier. He said out loud. Then he made a sour face. Fournier? Who the hell is Fournier? He dumped dry food into Brownie's dish and got him fresh water from the tap. Randy sat down and dragged his phone across the table as Brownie slurped up the water. Outboros? I don't get it. Brownie had already finished the water in his bowl of chunky dog bits. Randy poured more bits into the dish and refreshed the water. Then he finished another Snickers bar. He lifted a bottle of water to his lips and swished the water around before he spoke into the phone's recorder. My name is Randall Aaron Wilson. I live in Camden Bay, New York, Salisbury Heights. Today is my 27th birthday. I was honorably discharged from the United States Air Force, and I now work at Eddie's Quick Fix Garage in Camden Bay. My sister's name is Julie. She works for Channel 4 in Camden Bay. I was out of my deck last night around 10 p.m. I remember nothing after that except waking up in my bed, dressed for sleep. Randy rested his chin on his clenched fist. Another name bubbled up with deep feeling. President Richardson. Something about President Richardson. I have bad feelings about this. He repeated the name, Fournier, in Outboros. His cell phone flashed green. He cut the recording and pushed the voicemail. Randy, this is Julie. Call me when you get this. Randy, how could you miss your own birthday party? Randy tilted his head. Yeah, Randy, how could you miss your party? Randy stared at the phone and then at Brownie. This is weird. Brownie tilted his head. Hey, it's Eddie. Who the hell gave you the day off, Kokomo? Thanks for showing up last night. I weasel my way into the party and what do I find? No cron man. Shut up, Eddie. He shook his head as Eddie always called him cron man ever since he started using cron manufactured parts on his own truck. Harry has the cops looking for you. We can't even triangulate your phone. Now I'm afraid something awful has happened. Randy stared at the phone after the last message. He checked the phone date and time. Then he unwrapped another Snickers bar. Where have I been? Where have I been, Brownie? He shook his head and slowly panned to a mark on his left hand, a letter resembling a pitchfork with a handle to the left of the fork area. Only this letter was traced with white scar tissue and had offshoots of additional writing. His phone rang, but he didn't answer it right away. In slow motion, he picked up the phone and pushed the button. Oh, Randy, oh my God, shouted Julie. Randy, where are you? Are you all right? Where have you been? After a pause, he spoke. I don't know. It's like I just lost two days, Julie. The truck was there? Randy pulled back the curtain. I see it. Julie, is the president all right? One of the first things I thought of when I woke was the president. Is he all right? Yes, he is. Randy, what's going on here? Damned if I know. Brownie doesn't know either. Look, brother, I'm on my way. Chapter 3 Salisbury Condominiums, Camden Bay, New York, July 11, 2021, 9-11 a.m. The TV news blasted on the kitchen monitor. With Brownie at his feet, a befuddled Randy, still in his skivvies, tapped his fingers on the kitchen table and looked up as Julie opened the front door. She scurried over and hugged him. 
I watched the news. Richardson's all right. Wonderful. Now, what happened, Randy? He shrugged his shoulders. I don't know. Was it Junior? When we couldn't find you, I went over to his office to question him. He denied doing anything to you. He said you tried to break through security. I tried. I was beat up by his thugs there, Mookie. Something is wrong, because I've been AWOL with no memory, and apparently so is Brownie. You're cold. Why are you in your shorts? I woke up in bed. The last thing I remember was sitting outside drinking from a beer bottle, and then I woke up in bed. It's two days later, and Brownie is outside. Her perplexed look mirrored her doubt. Randy, what you're saying makes no sense. You say my truck was here. She looked toward the deck. Yes, and the beer bottle on the lounger out there. That's where I left it the other night. Look, I'm sorry. I wish I knew what happened. I guess I ruined my own party. She pursed her lips. I was worried about you, and so was everybody else. We're rescheduled. I need to call Pappy. Well, what's Pappy going to do? Pappy can sense trouble. Yeah, well, Pappy can cause trouble, too. She stared at him. You think somebody roughed you up? Nobody's worked me over. I'm fine, except for this Chinese letter. Chinese letter? She squinted at the tiny scar tissue letter on his left hand. What in God's name is that? That was never on your hand. Looks like an old scar, but it's a letter or letters. Very strange there, Mookie. Camden Bay Medical Center, 65 North Boulevard, Camden Bay, New York, July 11, 2021, 10.15 a.m. Randy, now in his jeans and a Camden Bay Rollers jersey, followed Julie through the ER. Maybe he didn't want to know what really happened to him for the last two days. Why would I be so concerned about Richardson? This whole thing is strange, Julie. You don't need to remind me of that, brother. A stout woman in a yellow pantsuit and short red hair followed alongside them. Hey, aren't you on TV? Julie Wilson, Channel 4. Is Junior Janice going to jail? She asked in a whiny voice. I have no idea, said Julie as they approached the front desk. Do you have your insurance card, Randy? Randy nodded as the woman kept asking Julie questions. Hey, this is the ER, not Channel 4. Oh, you big TV people are all the same. Randy grimaced at her as he gave Julie his card. The lady shook her head and crossed the lobby. I'll tell you one thing, Julie. I have this feeling that things are never going to be the same again. Randy sat nonchalantly on the examining table. Can you get me some more Snickers out of that candy machine, Julie? What? Hold on. We need to wait for x-rays. Why did they take x-rays anyways? I feel fine. Julie paced and then spun around. Well, you're pretty cool about all this. I feel fine. So you say. Randy, this is what I don't understand. You told the doctor that Junior's guys hurt your back and bloodied your lip, I might add. That's the point. How is it possible that my lip is healed? My back doesn't hurt. Julie looked at him and tilted her head like Brownie when he was trying to make sense out of something Randy had said. Mr. Wilson, said the young resident as he carried the x-rays into the room. He clipped the x-rays on the light panel. Ever been shot? Shot? <laughs> He's never been shot, said Julie. Well, you have a small metal sliver in your abdomen. What? 
fragment from a bullet or perhaps an object you fell on when you were a child. Julie's green eyes opened wide and Randy jumped off the table. Look, doctor, I never fell on anything or was shot. This is crazy. Well, it will be in your record now because we were unable to administer the MRI because of the ability of metal to conduct heat. Then just take it out. You'll need to have your own doctor look at the x-rays and make a surgical referral. He turned away from the panel. Now, as far as your lip, there's no sign of a contusion, wound, gash, or any disruption of the tissue at all. I was slugged in the mouth and was bleeding two days ago. It was a huge wound. So you say. Think I'm making this up? Mr. Wilson, I'm just evaluating your medical condition. Your back is in perfect alignment, and my examination of your muscles indicates a good muscle tone. I need a Snickers bar. Not now, Randy, said Julie. By your own account, Mr. Wilson, you said you feel fine. Well, now I do. The doctor picked up the ringing phone. Dr. Green, yes. Yes, I reported to the technicians that we had enormous conflicting signals. There are pinpoints all over the x-rays, right? Randy stepped across the floor. A symmetrical pattern of black and white dots had moved like waves on the film. No, no, that's not the only problem. We did a simple ultrasound and it looked like a barber pole. This is expensive equipment and people count on accurate results. Right, email me the report. Right. He hung up the phone. Well, what about the scar? Green shrugged his shoulders. Well, we don't always remember what happens during our lives. I never had a scar, said Randy. Okay, well, if you'll excuse me, I have other patients, he said as he quickly left. Julie, that was a complete waste of time. Then he paused, as if someone had given him a slight sedative. His mind cleared and he focused. Randy, I'm still trying to reconcile the fact that you disappeared and you don't remember anything. I'm sorry, Mookie, I just don't know. Can I get a Snickers bar now? They moved through the opening doors. Okay, okay. Randy munched through another Snickers bar and stared at the scar, symmetrical yet parallel in appearance. The lines were thin, almost too perfect for a scar, slightly larger than his skin and surrounded by brown hair follicles. He had never cut his hand on that spot, especially in such an exact configuration, and the metal in his gut baffled him even more. I can't believe how many of those bars you have eaten. I'm so hungry. Julie turned up the monster's radio. The newscast played through the car speakers. On this visit, Mayor Richard Ames, although not of the same party as the president, said he looked with great anticipation to the presidential visit to Camden Bay next month. Richardson, said Randy in a low voice. What is it about the president? Very strange. I just don't know. He listened to the reporter on the radio. Carrie Jenkins has the interview. Mr. Mayor, can you believe that President Richardson is really coming to Camden Bay? Ames's voice was crisp. Well, Democrats are always welcome here in Camden Bay, provided they don't take up permanent residence. The mayor chuckled. <laughs> but seriously, this city has a lot to offer, and the president has a lot to offer. We're looking forward to having him. The president will address a late afternoon rally in August in Heritage Park in the financial district of Camden Bay. Randy shut off the radio. His hair furrowed in the convertible. Do you know anyone named Fournier or a place called Ouroboros? She shook her head. Tell it to Harry when he comes over. Look, Randy, I want you to stay at my place tonight. What about Brownie? 
You can bring Brownie. I thought you didn't like Brownie on your white rugs. I'll call you. I'll have Pappy or Eddie bring us over. I can't stand Eddie. Well, welcome to the club. I have to go over to the garage and talk to him. Then I'll have Pappy bring Brownie and me over to the condo. What about the truck? Looks like I'm home if it's out front. Oh. And Julie. Thanks. Brother, this is the most bizarre thing I have ever seen. I just need to know what happened. Chapter 4 Eddie's Quick Fix Garage, 14 Belmont Street, Camden Bay, New York, July 11, 2021, 4.20 p.m. Eddie's garage had two shiny metal lifts and one large door. In back was a paint shop where Eddie rehabbed vehicles. From the open door, Randy watched Julie's maroon Mazda cross the bridge back toward the city. Oh, look what the cat dragged into town. You and I need to talk there, Kokomo. Came back to tell you I'll be in in the morning, Eddie. I've had a rough time. Randy's phone sounded. A call from Bay Center flashed on the screen. Oh, yeah? What was her name? Eddie had a buzzsaw laugh. I never question when a man loves a woman. But I should fire you. Hold on, Eddie. Randy, this is Dr. Green. That small sliver of metal below your abdominal muscle. We checked with your doctor. We'd like to remove it at some point. Nothing critical. Same day surgery routine. Hey, where's my racing form? Eddie, pipe down. My office will call you. Okay, thank you, doctor. Got all my picks for the races tonight on that form, said Eddie as he rummaged through the side shelves. You know, Eddie, you always open your mouth at the wrong time. Where the hell is that damn thing? By the way, you really squeezed the hell out of my hand. Randy slid the phone back in his pocket. He spotted the yellow racing form on the top shelf near tires far across the garage. It was as if his eyes had a telephoto lens. There it is. Where? Were you up by the tires today, Eddie? Yeah, but how the hell can you see all the way up across the garage? It's right up there. Randy turned, but when he ran into the garage, he whooshed forward with incredible power and flipped end over end across the concrete. The power stunned him. He walked the remaining 10 feet to the tires and then actually jumped up three stacks. 20 feet above the concrete floor, he grabbed Eddie's program, and then he gently returned to the ground. His skin had assumed a dull, matted blue tinge with fine linear strands as his body had inflated. Heebie, heebie, heebie! Eddie's mouth hung open as he gasped for air and staggered as if he were drunk across the garage. You're all in blue! Gold twinkles in your eyes! Randy's skin and body now assumed a regular appearance. Now the eyes are normal! Jump again! Randy leaped upward, this time tapping the ceiling like he was on a trampoline. Then he floated back to the floor. Again, his skin was blue for a short time. What the hell has happened to me? asked Randy. How did I whoosh across there? Ah! I see dollar signs! said Eddie, but his hand soon recoiled in pain. What'd you do that for? All I did was shake your hand, Eddie. I have this strength. Eddie stepped into his office. A few seconds later, he emerged with a blue ice pack on his hand. You know, my hand is killing me, wise guy. Eddie, you're the biggest faker I've ever met in my life. What do you want now? He studied Eddie's swollen hand. How'd you do that? 
Ouch! Have it looked at. I'll see you in the morning. Late in the afternoon, Brownie trotted ahead of Randy toward the weathered stockade fence. Pappy's house's wood planks resembled a fort in the woods. High oaks shaded a dirt-caked yard without a blade of grass and the surrounding fence had missing pickets. Pappy brought all his rubbish to the landfill on Thursdays. Until then, the place reeked, especially in summer. And an odd number of creatures showed up on the porch even in broad daylight. Pappy's cream-colored, mud-smeared PT Cruiser was parked in the dirt. A three-year-old Richardson for President sign still hung between the oak trees. Pappy appeared in the porch shadows. Brownie barked and ran across the yard and up the stairs. The gray-haired Pappy threw Brownie a biscuit and patted his head. Pappy was Randy's size with scruffy hair. He had incredibly been friends with Eddie all his life. He sometimes wore a yellow raincoat even when it wasn't raining and a green Camden Bay Rollers baseball cap. Hard to believe that Salisbury Heights is less than a mile away from Club Paradise here. Twiddly D. Look, Randall, what the hell happened to you? We're all waiting over there at Mulligan's. Pappy, I have no idea what happened. Son, forgive me, but that sounds like a crock. Who was she? You sound like Eddie. Pappy, I told you, I don't know. <laughs> I've met women like that. You need to wash your car, Pappy. Oh, it'll rain by the weekend. Asked Brownie. He was gone, too. Well, Brownie, said Pappy. Brownie barked. Randy looked up the stairs into Pappy's green eyes. Pappy, Julie and I have both said you should buy a condo at Salisbury Heights. And leave home, sweet home? He moved down the stairs and held Randy's shoulders. Hey, you look all right. Despite what Eddie said happened down at the garage this afternoon. Eddie was supposed to keep his big mouth shut. Don't ever count on that, son. What did he tell you? Asked Randy as he and Pappy sat on the steps. How oh, you jumped to the top of the tire bin to get his racing form. Then he said you jumped all the way to the ceiling. Well, Eddie exaggerates. Pappy opened his eyes wide. Eddie says he's going to fire you. What, for missing work? No, for not letting him get into Mulligan's. I guess he had to bribe a waitress. Now he's mouthing off. He won't fire me, Pappy, said Randy. Where's Brownie's collar? Just gave him a bath. I left the collar on the outside patio table. Randy could see the collar clearly in his thoughts. Eddie could swing by your place. Eddie? I thought you were bringing me to Julie's. Eddie likes to do people favors. Right, because then he figures you owe him. Now I'll walk. I hope he doesn't fire you. Pappy's not going to fire me. Do we really want to take Brownie in Eddie's truck? You know how Brownie feels about Eddie. The German Shepherd growled. See? Maybe they just need to spend time together. Pappy, Brownie's a dog. Your dog is super smart, Randall. Right. He sure sized up Eddie, said Randy, smiling. Hey, Brownie, said Pappy. Brownie tilted his head several times. What happened to your master? Where was he? You can't carry on a conversation with him. I've had long conversations with that dog said Pappy, kneeling down and patting Brownie. He looked back to Randy. I'm not surprised, Pappy. I'm not surprised. Eddie's mustard-colored Tacoma truck rolled into Pappy's yard without the motor running. Randy set down his beer. Why does he do that? You know, shut off his motor before he stops? What? Eddie shuts off the engine about 50 feet before he stops, and I have no idea why. 
Eddie stuck out his crew-cut head out the window. Hey, glad I could stop by to fire you. Still wore his garage shirt and pants. Pappy told me you had flocked out after drinking beer all night with some bimbo. Randy turned to Pappy. Pappy, what did you tell him that for? I had to come up with something. Huh, come up with something? Why? Eddie put his hand on his hip. Well, crying man? Memory blank. Two days. Eddie made a sour face. Is that your story? Yeah, that's my story. You're still fired. Eddie, come on, said Pappy. You know how far back we go? Pappy, we ain't talking about you. We're talking about your drunken son. I wasn't drinking. Look, Eddie, I'll do work gratis on the Beamer. Oh. Eddie turned and flashed his big teeth. Gratis. What about the Audi? You mean Veronica's Audi? Yeah. Think you can make the sacrifice for the babe? Sure, maybe she'll go out with me. She's a high roller, said Eddie. Plus, you already asked her out twice. She ain't gonna bother with Randy Wilson. And what about that Dodge Ram? Don't push it, Eddie. All right, the Beamer and the Audi. Nice doing business with you, Eddie. I ain't shaking hands with you, said Eddie, retracting his hand. You've got some kind of vice grip. He held Randy's wrist. Skin looks okay. What are you going to do now? Sue me for shaking your hand? Watch it, Randall, said Pappy. That lawyer of Eddie's, Don Melvin, is lawsuit happy. He's a shark. Eddie Conover does not sue. Unless it's necessary. He put his left arm around Randy. You know how you jumped up to the tires and then to the ceiling? I don't know how you did that, but we can make a fortune up there at Lakeside Park. You want me to jump for people at an amusement park? What am I, a flying horse? I'll give you 10%. No, 15. I don't want your money, Eddie. Okay, do it for free. Just keep your mouth shut about what happened. You told your mother. Eddie did a double take. How'd you know that? Randy squinted. Lies, lies. Then he turned to Pappy. How do you know that, Pappy? You know, Camden Bay Tire is looking for mechanics, Randall. What, miss all this abuse? What are you going to do, take down the Duke the Duke sign in your yard, Pappy? Asked Eddie, driving with his elbows as he lit a cigarette. Hey, I won't need a new one when he runs for re-election. Keep thinking about Richardson, said Randy. I voted for Willard Wombie, said Eddie. Who? asked Randy. You know, he's the guy who wants every state to secede from the Union. You know, the I'm out of here candidate. Well, that figures. Hey, why are you eating all them Snickers bars? asked Pappy. I'm hungry, all right? Brownie sat between Randy and Pappy as Eddie pulled up to Julie's condo. One of them, or maybe both of them, had body odor issues. Pappy, why don't you go take a bath when you get home? Yeah, Pappy, said Eddie, looking like a little kid holding a cigarette behind the wheel. Hey, Eddie, you're no breath of fresh air. You think that cologne can hide everything? Eddie turned the large wheel as his truck moved right. Hey, I bathe regularly. Yeah, every snake sheds its skin, said Randy. Eddie rolled his brown eyes. Hey, I'm not the one jumping 20 feet into the air. Eddie. Is it true? asked Pappy, cleaning his glasses on his undershirt. You know Eddie likes the big talk, Pappy. Tell that to my hand. Where were you really, son? Really? Randy looked out the window. I don't know, Pappy. Good boy, Brownie, said Pappy, patting Brownie's large head. 
He licked Pampy's scraggly gray beard. Where the hell did I go? Hey, I've been on benders where I can't remember, said Eddie, stopping the truck in front of Julie's condo complex. Hey, I told you, Eddie, that homemade stuff you drink will fry your brain. What are you, Dr. Papass? To quote you, Eddie, I'm out of here, said Randy, opening the door. Come on, Brownie. Make sure you show up for work, said Eddie as Brownie growled at him. Hebe, hebe, hebe. It was just a suggestion. West Side Condos, Camden, New York, July 12th, 2021, 3.30 p.m. Randy, water bottle in hand, pulled back Julie's condo drapes as Harry's black SUV pulled up to the curb. Harry wore a plain clothes suit and spoke on his cell as he moved up the walk. Is that Harry, Randy? Brownie began barking. The man is here. Quiet, Brownie. It's Harry. What are you going to tell him? Randy set the water on the side table. The truth. He's my best friend. I can't even believe the truth myself. There has to be an explanation. He stared at the scar on his hand and nodded. Then he circled around the stairs to the front door. Before Harry could push the bell, Randy opened the door. His taller friend tucked his cell in his pocket. When he smiled, his heavy brown mustache curled upward. His bright blue eyes brightened. Wow, what have you been up to there, Randall Wilson? If you're going to disappear, at least leave a message or a note. Randy motioned him inside. That old buddy, I do not know. Hi, Jules, he called to Julie across the kitchenette. Brownie licked his hand. Hello, Brownie. Beer, Harry? I'd love one. I'm on my way home. Things are cooking now, boy. Junior? she asked. Yes, but that's about as much as I can say, he said as she handed him the beer. Thanks. What really happened to you, Rand? Julie looked up at Randy, and then Randy spoke. I disappeared. Missed my party, and I can't remember. Harry furrowed his brow and finished a long sip. Then he sat down. Where exactly were you? I had an APB out on you. At the condo. Brownie and I walked outside on the deck. I looked up into the sky and I saw this light in the fog. And that's the last thing I saw. Harry stared at him from the leather theater chair and held his beer with his hands looped over the chair arms. It seemed as though he was going to speak, but he shook his head. Then he looked up. And your next recollection is two days later. Right. I'm in my shorts lying on the bed. Harry took a sip of beer. Whoa. In the meantime, I called, said Julie. Then I went over there. The truck was there, but no Randy, no Brownie. Harry produced a quick twitch. Well, obviously, somebody abducted you, Rand. What the hell? You remember nothing. Nothing. Randy shook his head, except the president. What? I woke up shouting President Richardson's name. Oh, Pappy wanted Richardson. He still has the banner in his yard. Right. Who'd want to abduct me? And why can't I remember it? Yes, said Harry, standing. He set his beer on the lamp table. Who would abduct you? You been hanging out with anybody we don't know about? No, no, Harry. There's more. Someone got to you. Randy held out his hand. Look closely. The letter. The scarlet letter. Harry moved Randy's hand under the light. Isn't that the damnedest thing? The doctor said it happened a long time ago, said Julie. 
Harry made the twitch again. I never saw that. It looks like some kind of writing. Maybe a gang. But it matches no local gangs I know. I need to call John Wharton. Who's he? asked Randy. FBI. His office is cleaning up a lot of the gang territories. Wait, I have to tell you the rest. There's more? Randy looked at Julie and raised his brows. Let's go for a walk, Harry. Harry stared at him. Sure. They exited with Brownie through the rear sliders and moved down the stairs to the inner grassy courtyard dissected with white concrete walkways. Harry, Harry, it's more than gangs. Why do you say that? Randy pursed his lips. He caught sight of a metal trash barrel. Watch this. Randy whooshed over 40 feet to the metal trash barrel on the pole. He positioned his hands and compressed the sides quickly, producing a heated, smoky, compact ball. His skin beamed blue for a short time. Harry ran across the grass. Randy's skin resumed its normal color. How did you do that? The heated metal didn't burn his hand. He dropped the chunk onto the grass and it sizzled. Harry focused on the metal as Randy bent his legs. In a single thrust, he whooshed onto the flat roof. Harry slowly removed his cell. Colonel Briggs. Briggs is in a selective intelligence division for unexplained incidences and unusual things around the world. Whenever we can't find answers, I call his division. When I first started, I was directed to the UID. I got to know Briggs later. He lifted Randy's hand up again. Well, there's more. They found a metal sliver in my stomach muscles. I can't have an MRI until they surgically remove it. What is it? I don't know. But it wasn't there until my little two-day vacation. Harry's blue eyes opened wide. Briggs, not Wharton, should handle this. Harry scrolled down his phone, then he pushed the screen. He put the phone on speaker, and it rang for a long time. Colonel, this is uh, Harry Ridden. Lieutenant, how are things out at the Big Lake? Remember the Stanton case in Bellevue Park? More dead bodies. I thought we found them all. No, not the bodies. They were altered with something in the muscles, but we couldn't see it. I mean, I wasn't there. Point? My best friend, uh... He has incredible muscle power and the ability to jump 50 feet into the air. I don't know if it's related. Name? Randy Wilson. Briggs rustled papers in the background. Has this been reported? Harry looked at Randy. Julie knows and Eddie. The crow's peaks tightened around Harry's eyes. Eddie, oh God. Two individuals. Names? Julie Wilson and Eddie Conover. Harry rolled his eyes and spoke in a low voice. Eddie Conover. Okay, will do. Can you come up here, Colonel? Absolutely. I'll call you when I arrive. We need to follow Wilson immediately. I'll be here. We'll consider this classified. Yes, sir. Harry hung up the phone. How is he going to follow me? Keep your phone on. They'll triangulate it. And just what does he investigate, Harry? Harry's phone rang. He took it off speaker. This is Detective Redden. What? Sergeant, I'm off duty. Okay, I'll call Chief Baldwin. I'll be there in 15 minutes. Everything okay? Listen, Rand, 
I need Eddie over here until I get back. I think we just nailed some of Junior's flunkies down on the docks. They're up to something. His name isn't associated with any shipment or warehouse, yet his minions keep turning up. I agree with that. Look, Briggs can figure out what happened to you. He has a whole secret division in the Air Force. But I remember nothing. Briggs has seen it all before. As far as Eddie goes, we'll pick up the idiot. Good. Chapter 6 Randy sat restlessly in Julie's theater chair. He crushed several golf balls as he watched the local news on the wide screen. His forearm skin pulsed blue and then returned to normal pigmentation. Now Mayor Richard Ames is in the studio. The bald Ames always wore a turtleneck. Mr. Mayor, I have several Facebook questions here. Well, go right ahead. How will the President's visit impact the new highway construction north of the city? As you know, Mr. Wells, the money was appropriated by Congress and the project will go forward with or without President Richardson being in Camden Bay in August. Rodney paid good money for those golf balls, said Julie. I don't think Ames likes Richardson. He crushed another ball. Well, Richardson is a Democrat, said Julie. She removed the bucket from the side table. I think the government did this. They gave me these powers. Best to let Colonel Pox handle this. Briggs, he answered. Then his cell rang. This is Randy. He cried me and they locked me up, yelled Eddie. Oh, well. What did you do, Eddie? Steal another hot car? I didn't do nothing, wise guy. Those two gorillas pressed through my side door and then they tell me I'm under arrest. Usually I've done something wrong, but you gotta get me out of here, Randy. I bet you can bend those bars in the cell. Randy spoke sternly into the phone. Look, Eddie, I told you to keep this to yourself until I can figure it out. I have somebody looking into what happened to me. You'll probably get a call. Oh, yeah? I got Don Melvin come down here to get me out of this hellhole. We'll sue all of them. I still say you and I can make millions. Keep one thing in mind, Eddie. What's that? Keep your big mouth shut. He pushed the off button with his thumb. Julie looked at him and then hugged him. I hope we can figure this out, brother. Why me? The door opened below and the moose-haired little Rodney in a light suit looked up. Hey, where's your truck, Wilson? We all can't own a Ferrari there, Rod. Rodney. Whatever. You caught us at a bad time, said Randy as Rodney reached the top of the staircase. Right. He said, stepping over the small bar outside the kitchenette. He immediately began mixing himself a scotch. Julie and I are going out. I'm going to have to cancel, Rodney, said Julie. Don't be ridiculous. I have reservations at the restaurante. Randy moved away from Julie. Date has been canceled, counselor. Oh, is that right? He asked, sipping the scotch. Randy pulled the glass out of his hand. Don't push your luck. Randy put his hand under Rodney's armpit. His tailored striped shirt crumpled as Randy lifted him three feet above his head. Rodney's brown eyes froze. Randy's arm tightened dark blue. Oh my God! Now why don't you be a good boy, Rod, and go play lawyer somewhere? Julie gasped as Randy let Rodney fall to the carpet. How did you do that? Julie answered the landline phone in the kitchen. She held the phone out and stared into space. 
Mandy, it's Harry. What about him? He was shot when he got to the docks. Randy scrambled up the stairs as Julie hovered near the wide screen. A mobile unit had been set up near container stacks along the waterfront, and a young woman from another TV station pointed to the ambulance lights flashing along the warehouse as the ambulance moved toward the main road. My God, Harry, we need to get to the ER. Wait, Julie had her cell to her ear. Rodney rubbed his arm and shoulder. Liz, is there anyone down at the docks? What? No, we'll head to the hospital. Camden Bay? Okay, we're leaving now. What's his status? No, I can go on the air. I'm on my way. Who shot Harry? Asked Randy as his hands clenched. They don't know. He was tracking down two of Junior's flunkies. He told you that? She asked, grabbing her pocketbook. Yes. Randy closed his eyes. If anything happens to Harry, let's just get the facts, Randy. She turned below, but Rodney had left through the open door. You shouldn't have hoisted him up. They moved down the stairs. Rodney's Ferrari was not out front. You're right. I need to control this power. Exactly. Brownie, stay here, boy. You need to ditch Rodney, Julie, said Randy as they trotted toward the Mazda. Let's deal with one disaster at a time. Mastero's Italian Restaurant, 45 Camden Boulevard, Camden Bay, New York, July 12, 2021. 3.45 p.m. Junior dabbed the napkin on his mouth. He looked to his right as Rudy moved between the restaurant tables. Brenda, across the table, made a noise with the straw in her drink. Hey, Brenda, have some manners, will ya? She shook her blonde hair. I need another pina colada, Junior. Her squeaky voice annoyed him. Hey, boss, we got the bad news, said the bulbous nose, Rudy. Hey, Brenda, scram. Huh? Call yourself a cab. Get the hell out of here. Go back to the tower. Rudy helped her up and handed her her rhinestone purse. Junior waited until she was across the room. You're going to tell me that we Polly shot Harry Ridden dead, correct? He blew it. Junior leaped to his feet. Are you kidding me? How difficult is it to kill somebody? Word is out that Ridden's going to make it. Yeah, and what if he identifies weed, you moron? Bring some professionals in here, Rudy. Send them over to Camden Bay Medical and get rid of Ridden now. Now? Right now. Will do. Yeah, will do. You're full of shit. Anybody ever tell you that? Now beat it. Report back to me when it's done. Junior kicked the chair as Rudy left and he got on his phone. Listen, go up to my suite at the tower, Brendan. Just do as I say. I got a world full of idiots here. Camden Bay Medical Center, 65 North Boulevard, July 12th, 2021, 5.20 p.m. Randy emerged from the third floor elevators with Dan Bulldog Baldwin. The police chief had lost his usual outgoing personality. He took three bullets all to the chest. We should just arrest Junior Bull. Don't call me Bull, and it's not that easy. Junior is slippery. Hey, Chief, said Sergeant Maxwell next to the elevator doors. Mr. and Mrs. Ridden have arrived. Bulldog nodded. Randy, do you know them? Yeah, I do, said Randy as he trudged forward. A haggard Diane Ridden slumped between the wall and her father-in-law in the corridor ahead. Randy heard doctors behind the door talking about Harry's undergoing surgery. 
Two additional Camden Bay cops stood on either side of the door. Randy concentrated on the clipboard hung by the nurse's station. The chart became clear. Harry had indeed been shot in the chest, and one bullet was lodged just inches from his heart. Diane, whatever resources you need, just let me know, said Bulldog as he hugged her. Thank you, Chief. This is my mother and father-in-law. He shook hands with him. Your son is one of our best. I know he'll pull through. I'll be in the solarium for a few minutes for phone calls, then I'll be back. Diane nodded and faced Randy and hugged him. Randy, I told Harry not to personally stake out the Janus operation. Thank God the bullet missed his heart. Randy nodded and then embraced Harry's mother Millie and shook Doug Ridden's hand. Doug had recently retired from the force and with his thick gray hair and mustache looked like an older version of Harry. Bulldog entered the solarium. Forty-two years and I was never shot, said Doug. Randy, Harry told me he was getting close to nailing Janice Jr. He put his hand on Doug's shoulder. Harry's gonna make it, Doug. Suggest you two go down to the cafeteria, have something to eat while they work on Harry. Doug nodded. Good idea. You have my cell. I do. He embraced Millie again and they headed for the elevator. The doors opened and Eddie plowed into the corridor. Two cops descended on him from the side corridor. The cops nearest to the door drew their guns. The hefty Don Melvin, in a shiny black suit and narrow tie, followed him into the corridor. Eddie, what the hell are you doing here? Conover, out, yelled the gray-haired Sergeant Maxwell. Hey, nobody throws Eddie Conover out of anywhere. Maxwell drew his gun. Unless you want a lawsuit, my friend, you put away the heat. I have orders from Chief Baldwin to keep all unnecessary personnel off this floor. Maxwell put his gun back in the holster. Now kindly leave this area. There's no need to have you up here. Randy backtracked to the elevators. My client wants to know why Chief Baldwin had him incarcerated. Yeah, it was a false arrest, shouted Eddie. Get the hell out of here, both of you, said Maxwell. Well, where's Baldwin? asked Melvin. Eddie. This is not the time. Eddie pointed up in the air. Everybody thinks I'm an idiot. Yeah, that about sums it up, said Randy as the sergeant smiled. You're fired, crime man. Good, said Randy. Eddie kept up his oh, rant yeah. with Maxwell yeah, sure. as Randy Everybody stepped up to Diane. Diane, what All about the kids? Her sunken eyes hung heavy. My, my cousin has Melvin. Let me know what I can do. Melvin. Thanks, Randy. Back at the elevator, small arms fire echoed down the corridor. Nurses, doctors, and aides dove to the floor. Randy pushed Diane back in the side room. Maxwell, on his back, bled from his arm. Eddie pushed his back and arms flush against the wall. Bulldog emerged from the solarium and aimed his gun. Two men in black ski masks entered the corridor as two guards drew their weapons. One guard was hit. Bulldog ducked behind the wall. An outer, fiber-like blue shell surrounded Randy's body like an inflatable foam, thicker than before, but he felt normal. Angled sections were chiseled into his face, and his eyes, fully sparkling gold, reflected on the glass frame wall photo. It was as if he were letting the shield in from somewhere because he didn't feel larger or inflated in any way. He whooshed back into the corridor. The ski mask men swung their handguns. Bullets hit his chest and face and then flattened as they clunked against the floor tiles. He felt nothing. Both assailants, flummoxed, possibly by his appearance, turned as their ammunition ran out. 
Randy whooshed and lifted both men into the air. The guns dropped and spun on the floor. Then he hurled them both down the corridor. The impact was sudden and overwhelming. They tumbled against the far wall and lay unconscious on the aqua floor tiles. Cronin! Cronin! bellowed Eddie, his body still pressed against the wall. A gray-haired military man in a blue Air Force uniform, gun pointed upward, burst through the outside stairwell door. Randy, his skin size returned to normal, stood in the corridor with Julie. Her mouth hung open. My God, Randy, it's gotten stronger. Those bullets, they hit with a thud and were mangled on the floor. The Air Force man jogged down the corridor. I want you to come with me, son. Are you Colonel Briggs? I am. I just saw what happened through the glass. He turned to Julie. You his sister? Yes. I need you to go on the air and mention that somebody was wearing a blue Kevlar body armor. Where are you going? This is a military matter now, Ms. Wilson. Randy, she said as she hugged him. I'm afraid about what's happened to you. I'll be all right. There has to be a reason for this. To the stairwell. He pulled Randy through the door, but they headed upward. He saw Julie's bewildered face as the door closed. I'm worried about my friend. They climbed up the concrete staircase. The police will completely seal the area. We'll get Lieutenant Ridden to another facility after surgery. Where are we going? Roof. Chopper. Why are we leaving, Colonel? I'm not exactly sure what happened to you, Wilson, but I have my suspicions. After this, all hell's going to break loose. I've got the Secret Service all over this because of what you said about the President. And those clowns downstairs just shot you at point-blank range. Then you hurled them through the air. Your blue skin. They chose you. Who chose me? They reached the roof door. Randy faced his steely blue eyes. I don't know what happened to me. The colonel nodded. I'm almost certain that you were abducted. Well, I know that, Colonel. Somebody got to me. The Colonel nudged the roof door. He signaled to a woman outside. Her straight blonde hair whipped around in the wind from an olive helicopter. She ran toward Briggs and Randy. Chopper is ready for CX-7, Colonel. Thank you, Lieutenant. A few seconds later, the chopper door opened. Two young men in combat fatigues, each carrying automatic weapons, faced each other. Briggs pushed Randy, followed by the woman, across the grainy flat roof. The soldiers followed behind. Another soldier rushed Randy, the lieutenant, and Briggs inside the chopper. Over here, Mr. Wilson, said the lieutenant, motioning him to the window seat. She had bright blue eyes. What happened down there? Almost immediately, the helicopter rose upward, even before the doors were closed. Automatic weapon attack. She grabbed his wrists. Oh my God, are you all right? Incredibly, I wasn't injured, Lieutenant. The roof and then the hospital moved away through the side window. What's happened to me, Colonel? I intend to give you those answers, son. He held up a white cell phone. This is Briggs. We're ready for Wenzel at CX-7. We have the subject. Call Chief Baldwin in Camden Bay. I need to brief him and get this situation under control. I still can't believe I'm alive, said Randy. Briggs leaned across the aisle. I've been waiting 25 years for this. The lieutenant stared at him as if she couldn't believe it either. Where are we going? Briggs smiled. You'll know when you get there. The Janus Tower, July 12, 2021, 9.15 p.m. Junior grabbed the phone and sat up in bed as the nude Brenda closed the bathroom door. Rudy breathed as if he had been running. 
Rudy, what the hell are you calling me for? They're under arrest. Junior leaned back and looked at his bare chest in the overhead mirror. What? They were stopped at the hospital. Did they or did they not have weapons? They went up the elevator. I saw it from across the street. I heard they were stopped by this creature. Creature? He stood naked next to the brass bed. Are you telling me some creature took down two guys with rapid-fire guns? Sober up, Rudy. There was a report on Channel 4 by Julie Wilson. Julie? Give me a link to that report. She said it was body armor. <laughs> creature. You're an idiot, Rudy. Hey, it stepped in front of the gunfire. So the thing is, the guy is dead. What is this, Halloween? Find Wilson and Conover. I'll track down Julie. I bet you will. Shut up, Rudy. Brenda tiptoed out of the bathroom. You were great, Junior. Not now, Brenda. Go take a bath. Get lost. Point is, Ridden is still alive, correct? The two guys we brought in for the hit are under arrest. They won't talk. Oh, is that right? I'll have Dutch spring him out. You follow Rid. Once he's okay, we'll kill that nosy detective. Now that the aliens have done their work, and Randy is getting used to his new self, we can concentrate on the crooked, the diabolical, and the rotten-to-the-apple-core Junior Janus, who will certainly try to use Cronman for his own maniacal ends. I'm Robert P. Fitton, flying through the air with the greatest of ease. Quote the radio Superman Bud Collier, up, up, and away! All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.
chapter 5.